welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank Quim for being this week's sponsor. You've definitely heard me talk about their products before, and I'm still obsessed. Quim is a self-care line for humans with vaginas and humans without vaginas who love vaginas. My favorite product is the Happy Clam Everyday Oil. Not only does it smell and feel amazing, but it's made completely of plant-based ingredients such as apricot oil, hazelnut oil, and MCT oil. It contains essential oils such as tea tree extract and damiana and has CBD oil in it to help promote relaxation, blood flow, and so much more. All VHive listeners can receive 10% off their Quim purchase by going to www.itsquim.com. That's spelled www.itsquim.com and entering the code VHive, V-H-I-V-E at checkout. That's www.itsquim.com with code VHive at checkout. Please note this discount code works only for their hemp CBD products. Today, I am here with Ian Kerner. Ian is a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor who specializes in sex therapy, couples therapy, and working with individuals on a range of relational issues. He is a New York Times bestselling author and frequently lectures on topics related to sex and relationships. Ian is quoted by Esther Perel as one of the most recognizable voices in clinical sex therapy. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure, Hannah. Thank you for having me. So I am so glad that you're here. Your work is amazing. Your books are incredible. I first read She Comes First, and now I'm about halfway through The Empowered Woman's Guide to Pleasuring a Man. They are both so interesting. And let me tell you, I posted on my Instagram a cover of the cover of She Comes First, and I just talked a little bit about how great it was. And in the past two and a half years, that post got the most likes out of any post I've ever posted before. (laughs) I think it got like 400 likes or something. I'm like, wow, people must be really interested in this. Well, that warms my heart. You know, I I wrote the book in, I think, 2002, and it was published in 2004. And uh, I love that it's still out there and still some people are still relating to it, you know? It's amazing because honestly you know, I, I haven't read nearly every book on, on sex out there, but from what I have read and what I do know, there's nothing else like it. And I honestly think that is pretty accurate. I don't think that there is much else like that book out there that really educates men and women on the female body. And so at first, I mean, just tell us how you got started in this field, because what you do is amazing. 
Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. It was a, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, a circuitous route. Um, I actually uh, started out as a as an English major and wanted to be a, a playwright, and I was uh, for a little while teaching English at uh, NYU. And you know, as a sort of a young adult growing up, uh, I had a single mom. My dad wasn't uh, around that much. Um, sort of a little bit of a sexual vacuum. And uh, I had some sexual issues as um, I was emerging into my sexual adulthood. They're pretty common sexual, it was a pretty common sexual problem, uh, early ejaculation. Um, But it was really disrupting my sex life and it caused uh, a lot of um, depression and, and, and anguish and made connecting and attachment and romantic love really, really challenging. And it kind of defined me as an issue. Um, So I ultimately, um, sort of in researching the topic and trying to learn about it, there was no internet, there weren't really men's magazines. Um, I kind of became a student of sexology by trying to sort of solve my own problem. And, and ultimately, I had some opportunities to discuss it with therapists, but um, not too many therapists, especially at that time, were educated in sexuality. So it was more of a self-education. And I think when it came time for me to sort of pick a new career path, um, I knew that um, I knew that I wanted to be a sex therapist. I mean, the path to getting there is to becoming um, a general psychotherapist, but I knew I always wanted to... Uh, you know, specialize in sex and uh, talk to other people who might be suffering. Because to me, um, eroticism and sex and romantic love were incredibly important, maybe the most important aspects of my own self-actualization. And so to really be sort of handicapped in that area um, was pretty traumatizing. And it was an ex- so in becoming a, a sex therapist, uh, it's also helped with my own journey of growth and, and re- reparation. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting about your story, and, and it's similar to many others in the sense that it usually is our own struggles that lead us to doing what we do and being so interested in a certain area of work. You know, for me, I had pelvic pain and that just, I, I after I learned about pelvic pain, I couldn't believe how prevalent of an issue it was and how little education there was on it and I was like this is wow this is crazy and something needs to be done and similarly with you you realize something is so common yet there's no education on it and I think that's really incredible that that's you know it's unfortunate but it's also amazing because it it really catapults a lot of people into these really much needed careers Well, you know, the history of kind of sex therapy or the history of sexology in terms of people who really specialize in this field often um, combines with kind of advocacy. And it's often people who are struggling in some way that want to be heard or want to normalize what they're experiencing or have it mirrored back. So it's, it's not unusual for people who are sexual healers who have been in need of, mm-hmm. of healing themselves. Yeah. So let's talk about the first book I read, She Comes First, of yours. How, I mean, I I urge everyone listening to buy the book and read it because 
no matter if you're a man or a woman, it's so crazy interesting. But how did this book come to be? And give us a little bit of a synopsis of this book. Well, so again, you know, starting with my own struggles with early ejaculation, um, I just found that uh, my brain and my genitals weren't really connected. And, you know, my penis wasn't really functioning the way I want that my mind wanted it to. And uh, um, so it really kind of forced me to sort of embrace that difficulty and find other ways of pleasuring. And so, again, I told you I did a lot of sort of research and and self-educating what really blew my mind back at that time, which was relatively um, unstated um, or hadn't been uns- hadn't been restated for my generation, was that even if I could last as long as I wanted to during sex, uh, it didn't mean that my partners would be sexually satisfied, mm-hmm. my female partners, um, I'm a heterosexual, um, and that... Um, that really the clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm and the clitoris responds to uh, stimulation, not penetration of the vagina. And in fact, uh, there's a lot of sensitive nerve endings that contribute to pleasure on the surface of the vulva, but once you go um, into the vagina, there, 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 there ceases to be as many sensitive nerve endings and most intercourse positions really fail to adequately provide that persistent, consistent sort of rhythmic clitoral stimulation. So I kind of realized, wow, what I'm after here, uh, just being able to last longer during intercourse, you know, is really off the mark. And so I went from uh, kind of being ill-clitorate to becoming clitorate in my own education. And then later in my work as a sex therapist, I found these themes coming in a lot into my practice, especially amongst women who would say sort of, what's wrong with me? Why can't I have an orgasm during sex? What's what's happening? And I really wanted to normalize, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You're completely healthy and functional. What might be wrong is the ways in which we've been inculcated or indoctrinated uh, to construct and, and think about sex. And so I would say she comes first to sort of half of a lesson and sort of half basic sort of clitoracy and i really wanted to open men's eyes to a realistic view of female sexuality and then i'd say the second half is really dedicated to pleasuring uh based on principles of clitoral stimulation with a heavy emphasis on oral sex um just because it's a very powerful way of giving pleasure um, in which men can bring a lot of connection and control that they can't always do with their penises. And it's a very powerful way of uh, receiving pleasure when you really get sort of um, connected and kind of merged in the act. So that's kind of what She Comes First is about, a kind of a primer in clitoracy and then uh, a follow-up on um, oral sex. Mm-hmm. It's so true what you just said that There's a huge problem within the fact that men aren't educated properly and then that leads women to believe something's wrong with them because women are like, why can't I have an orgasm during sex? Really, it's because the men aren't educated on how to give women an orgasm properly. 
And you talk about this in your book. You say that, you know, there's a problem with sex education. And I mean, I want to know more about your thoughts on this because you talk about this a lot in both books and it, it resonated with me. But why is this such a big issue and what can, you know, we as a society do to change this? Well, that's a big question, <laughs> Hannah. Um, you know, first of all, like, let's, you know, define education or sex education. I mean, certainly there is a, a dearth of good quality sex-positive sex education in school. You know, we know that um, um, it's not very progressive. So mm-hmm. we can't really turn – most most young people can't really turn to their school for um, sex education. Uh, so where can you turn? You know, a lot, of, a lot of young people, a lot of young men turn to porn as right. a source of instruction. And I'm not anti-porn at all. In fact, I'm actually much more porn positive than I am porn negative. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the fault of porn that men turn to it for education. I think it's, again, the lack of quality sex education just makes porn a more powerful vehicle um, for that education. But I think the real sex education, and I say this as someone who's been a son and is now a father to two sons who are basically teenagers, that I think sex education really happens in the home. It happens both in the extent to which a household is sex positive versus sex avoidant versus sex negative and it happens in how parents model sexuality in their own relationships and how they model communication around sex. And then, of course, it happens in those sort of early formative sexual experiences where, for the first time, we're getting a lot of feedback around sex. And I think at heart, and I'll you know, sort of wrap up on this point that... Um, you know, I, I sort of, as a, as a therapist, I, I somewhat ascribe to the idea of uh, attachment theory, which is that in the end, with our relational partners, with our friends, with our coworkers, we need to create uh, secure attachments uh, where we are both seeing and being seen, hearing and being heard. And that kind of mirroring, those kinds of attachments really get forged at a very early age in our own attachment relationships with our caregivers. And I think, you know, largely caregivers can be good enough, moms and dads, good enough in their parenting and forming a secure attachment. But sex is an area in which there's really no, very little to no communication. Or if you think about it, if a, if a child comes to a mother or a father and they're empathetic and they say, ouch, I'm hurt, you know, the first thing a parent learns to do is mirror back, oh, you're hurt. Where are you hurt? Let me see it. Let's talk. It's going to be okay. Let mm-hmm. me kiss it. Let me heal it. Now, the first time children demonstrate any kind of um, sexual inclination or sexual behavior, it's usually like, get your hands out of your pants. Right. Don't touch yourself. or That's not proper. So... Not only is there a lack of communication, most of the communication that happens is uh, negative and anxiety provoking. And so I think we bring sort of that sexual vacuum with us Mm -hmm. into our future attachments. And I think we bring um, 
the anxiety as well of those conversations. And so in our adult lives, uh, our adult sex lives, we're really being asked to sort of manage, coordinate, and regulate a profoundly important aspect of our identities for which we have no experience in doing so. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you had to give like one recommendation, let's say to all the parents listening about how to go about talking to your children, teenagers, whatever age they are about sex or I mean because is it just fostering like an open environment about the subject or is it really having the conversations because the conversations in your book are really about giving oral sex to a woman which is important and interesting but that's something that I can't imagine well it's funny you know (laughs) um so the book's been out for almost 20 years and uh I still get a lot of feedback and, you know, I, I often, A, look, I was, A, I was surprised that women were as interested in the book as they were. I really wrote it uh, for men who wanted to give pleasure, but I was, I was pleased. But uh, I also get letters from moms often Mm. and sometimes from dad saying, Hey, like I'm giving this book to my teenage son. So he Uh, knows how to, sexually respect a woman or I'm giving this to my teenage daughter so she knows what to expect so Uh I wouldn't say it's the only piece of sex education but it has been used in a sex education context um but your your question was sort of what advice or what, what are the principles of um yeah I mean I think that that's a good point is really giving the book to any anyone your children your partner whoever like just to, for whomever to have as a resource and to learn is important. But yeah, if you had to give a piece of advice for a parent on how to foster, you know, mm-hmm. positive, a positive outlook towards sexuality, what would it be? Well, um, I don't think it's about having to sit down and have conversations. Yeah. I think it's, you know, first and foremost, like letting sex into the room, like, you know, I'm sure, and I, by that I mean your sexuality, like mm-hmm. I, my sons have never walked in on my wife and I having <laughs> sex, I don't think they ever have, but they know that we're sexual people and it's not just from um, my books, they, they hear us they see us being intimate or loving each other or being affectionate. Um, uh, they see sex coming up in our humor. Um, I'm not afraid to, to talk about sex again, not necessarily the details of my mm-hmm. sex life, but just as a, as a broader topic, it can enter into the conversation the way anything would enter into the conversation. And sometimes every now and then one of my sons will, come to me with a question that I'll do the best to answer from both a sex positive place and uh, a non-shaming place and also, you know, an informationally accurate place. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say like, um, you don't have to lead the conversations or start them, but you have to be prepared to have them. And you have to be able, if you don't know the answer to something, to have good sexual information that you can get um to model a healthy sexual relationship just in terms of intimacy and and affection and allow the conversation 
into the room. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So many people have so much shame around sex. I know. Shame is so debilitating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And actually, on that note, I have one more question. What, I mean, when you see shame, I guess, with your clients and the people you work with, like, and I know that this could be a whole episode in and of itself, like how to deal with sexual shame, but is there anything specific that comes to mind that you think would be helpful for everyone listening to hear? Just because I think that a lot of the listeners of this podcast do have some form of sexual shame. Mm -hmm. Well, we certainly grow up in societies with lots of rules about sex and lots of boxes and constructs that we're supposed to fit in and lots of values that are supposed to define us. And, uh, you know, we have to be able to challenge those values and constructs and come up with our own set of values and our own boxes that we want to put ourselves in. If we want to put ourselves, um, into a box and, It may sound cliche, but I think what I would say is, you know, you're not alone. Like Mm -hmm. when I think of myself growing up in a sexual vacuum, sort of not being able to really perform sexually or connect, like I felt very, very alone. And um, like anything in life where I feel a little anxiety or shame and guilt, you know, knowing maybe that somebody else is going through this um, just makes me take comfort that um i'm not alone and i can hopefully get on the other side of this Mm -hmm. yeah that's true it's very true um okay so next i want to talk about your other book the empowered woman's guide to pleasuring a man and Mm -hmm. well first you can give us a little intro into this book uh wow it's been a long time (laughs) since i wrote that and i haven't talked about it in a while and it's definitely not the like equivalent of she comes first uh, it's really women. good it's though. definitely not a book about oral sex i think if in the end what i would say if i were to look back on it and trace even my my current work mm-hmm. it's probably around debunking some myths around male sexuality that a lot of people have both men and women and sort of in debunking those myths you know again creating a more you know, realistic view of, of male sexuality. And just as I, with She Comes First, wanted to help men sort of access a realistic view of female sexuality. I think it's about kind of getting beyond the constructs and things that we take for granted and, and starting to be a little more flexible in terms of how we look at male sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this book, you mentioned that the number two reason for divorce in this country after financial instability is sexual dissatisfaction and poor information. When I read that, I was like, wow, that's, I mean, it makes sense after you read it and hear it, but it's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, couples therapists like to say that sex is really only 20% of a relationship and a good, healthy, functioning relationship. I don't know if that's exactly Mm -hmm. true, but I agree that sex is like a piece of a pie. But when sex isn't happening or isn't working in a relationship, it can become 100% of the relationship. Or it can become 80% of what you ruminate about. And um, unlike um, 
you know, some other areas of impasse that people are often able to collaborate or get on the other side of, um, because we're not talking about sex, because we don't have those tools, because we don't have the information to normalize our experiences, because we sort of live alone, leading these silent lives of desperation, um, a lot more marriages or a lot more relationships rupture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I mean, for me, it was so interesting to read because I'm very interested in sex therapy and relationship therapy. And you also talk about how conversations about intimacy and pleasure and sex amongst partners is so important and can be like one of the key elements to a good sex life and and therefore a good relationship yeah. but you know you also make note that these conversations are some of the toughest conversations to have and people are so uncomfortable having them and can't have them sometimes like simply just can't talk about it with their partner even if they're having sex like no matter what's going on it's just like finding the language to speak about these topics can be so difficult but it's so, 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 so crucially important. So I want to talk about that for a minute and just get your thoughts on how people can kind of learn to have these conversations, especially when they're in a situation where they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great question. And good communication is at the essence of good sex. And I think one of the main issues is that... Um, you know, A, look, we're naked most of the time when we're having sex, and I think that talking about sex has a nakedness too. Mm-hmm. It has a vulnerability to it. And it's very vulnerable, the extent to which we feel wanted or don't feel wanted, we feel functional or dysfunctional. Those are real heavy, heavy issues. And I think most of the time when we do eventually make our way to communicate into a partner, we do so in a way that often triggers a partner's defenses. Mm-hmm. Or even if we're not trying to trigger a partner's defenses, our defenses get triggered or a partner's defenses get triggered. And you know, I've been doing couples therapy a long time and once like defenses get triggered, it's just sort of like you're off to the races. It's just like the escalation of whatever defensive mechanisms you have and you really lose sight of that you know nakedness and vulnerability so i always encourage people to be empathetic to recognize when they're getting defensive try and stay in a cool calm down place the other thing is i try and help people to sort of like externalize the problem like we're having a conversation right now hannah Mm. and i talked about um having premature ejaculation you talked about having sexual pain and what i try and do is to get people to externalize or decouple their problems from their own identity so i went through a lot of life feeling like oh i'm a premature ejaculator but that's a label you know or you're a person who you know um gets pain during sex in a way that's a label too and really what i try and do is say okay, 
So you have a problem with early ejaculation in this relationship. Let's put the problem out there. Let's decouple it. Let's look at it as something that's a relationship problem. Uh, and let's walk around it. Let's look at it. Let's talk about it. Let's look at the entire context and everything that's happening rather than just saying, oh, you're a premature ejaculator, go to therapy. Right. I hear that so often. Oh, you have erectile disorder, it's your problem, go to therapy. You don't feel desire, go to therapy. You have pain, go see your uh, pelvic floor expert, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's just the wrong way of dealing with things. Sex yeah. is relational unless we're having it with ourselves and it's a relationship with ourselves. But if we're having it with another person, it is relational. So all of the problems that are coming up are relational issues and they should be treated as such. And so like put it out there, externalize it, decouple it, walk around it together. Mm -hmm. And I also think that the more you talk about it, but you know, actually not even the more you talk about it, once you just get it out there and it's like you rip the band-aid off in my case we'll just use me as an example like with my boyfriend now what in one of our first few dates i told him you know because i have a podcast on sexual health and I, and this was a big part of my life the pelvic pain and all of this stuff and so i just i talked about it and i i we had a conversation and it was totally fine and we've been together for you know, I don't know, almost two years now. And it's scary to have the first conversation. But I think once you do and once you get a reaction that's much better than you expected, you're like, oh, this is fine to talk about it. This is okay. I'm not weird. I'm not crazy. Like, this is okay. It's, it's okay to talk about these things. Everyone has some sort of a problem. Problems are, you can work through them. You can solve them. Like, but the first step is just being comfortable enough to have that conversation. And once you do it so much easier, easier i agree i agree you know um like we see we go out on dates you know when you're single and you kind of share everything mm -hmm. you, you know I, you know you don't share everything but if you trust the person and right. you like the person you start to really share and reveal and you talk about your history and then you have sex and you don't reveal you know what every time i have sex for the first time couple of times I don't get erections because I'm anxious mm -hmm. once I have sex a few times I'm not speaking for myself this is just a common male problem right um you know once I have sex a few times then the issue goes away um most men will not have that conversation right and um and they'll try and hide it or they'll try and work around it or they'll take some medications and you know I agree that really very early in the process of um, getting to know someone and being with someone. And even if you're having casual sex or a one night stand, like you don't have to have some model or paradigm of what the sex looks like. And you can talk about your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask what, you know, so I believe very deeply in therapy, but for someone who whether they can't afford therapy or they're already in therapy, but they they need other tools to kind of work through all of the things we've been talking about. Are there any recommendations or resources or things to that someone could do to get educated, to work on their communication, to you know, have better sex with a partner? Like, I know those are a lot of things, but are there any recommendations that you have that can either 
go hand in hand with talk therapy or can take the place of it? Sure, sure. You know, first of all, not everyone, there aren't enough sex therapists to go around that are educated and certified. But if you, you can, if you're open to it, find one, especially in this age of now telehealth. And, you know, it doesn't mean having to like give up your current therapist and going into sex therapy doesn't mean you're going to be going into weekly therapy. You know, I work with a lot of therapists sort of adjunctively. Um, Sometimes I only have to see patients one or two times. Sometimes after the first session, I won't see somebody again for three or four weeks until they bring back some data. So I don't want to present it. It's not, doesn't have to be like, the biggest commitment in the world. I mean, obviously you have to be committed to the process. I'm just saying it's not as intense as, um, mm-hmm. intensive as some people might make it out to seem. Um, you know, after that, I think, um, it becomes a little bit about self-education. I think the thing you also have to do one worry about wonder about is, you know, who is the person that you're talking to about sex? If you're going to your MD or you're going to, um, your talk therapist and they're not trained in sexuality or they don't have the information, they might really misdiagnose. You know, I get a lot of patients who tried to talk to a doctor or a therapist about sex and what they got back was either avoidance of the topic, something that didn't make sense or something that was like flat out wrong. Like you're a sex addict or the reason you have, Erectile issues is because you watch too much porn, you know, so I do a lot of correcting of people's assumptions Mm -hmm. or normalizing of of what's happening. So it's not just about finding someone to talk to. It's also about being um, careful about um, who you talk to. Yeah. Um, And then after that, I guess it's really a question of, um, you know, self-education and and, and, and books and reading, I mean, there's a lot out there on the internet. There's a lot of like Reddit um, threads and a lot being said and a lot of, some of it's good and a lot of it's, you know, inaccurate. So I would also say, start to poke around and find the experts or the voices that you trust and respect, you know, and admire and uh, seek out, you know, just the way you'd research, I guess, um, the right doctor for right. something, you know, um, don't just trust anything you read, you know, find, find voices that you can trust. Mm-hmm. Are there any resources that you have to recommend, whether it's, you know, uh, like a book, a podcast, a movie, anything that you um, like? I mean, there's, a, there's, 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 there's so much, I mean, I could give you some of my, you know, some of my favorite books that, mm-hmm. uh, sort of normalize aspects of sex that that people tend to sometimes feel stigmatized around i love um the erotic mind by jack marin i love emily nagoski's come as you are um i love books by esther perel like uh mating in captivity i love what helen fisher has to say about romantic love i like the work of uh you know marty klein and um I like, I like, I like so many things, you know? And I mean, I think we covered everything. Is there anything else that you have to say before we go? No, I mean, this was a great conversation. Um, I appreciate that you're coming to this with your own, um, issues that you've, you've you've confronted and dealt with. And that's part of your, your passion. And, um, you know, just to, to keep up 
creative, sex-positive conversations. Thank you so much for being here. And lastly, where can everyone contact you? Um, So I have a new book that's going to come out, and I'm very proud of it. It's not out yet, but as part of that, I'm going to be finally getting to social media, which I've neglected. But I'm not there yet, so in the meantime, um, go to my website, iankerner.com. Perfect. Thank you again for being here. This was amazing. So interesting. I'm going to order all the books that you just recommended. And we'll talk again soon. I'd love that. Take care, Hannah. Thank you.